Amen. Thank you, George. Worship team. Well, you know, we're in it now. And uh, I, I can't even tell you how much in my spirit I long to just say to you, it is so good to see you this morning. Um, but, I, but I can't do that. And very much missing you in this place right now. But we understand, don't we? Uh, these are hard times. Um, but I'm going to tell you that uh, the sanctuary, uh, there are a few of us here uh, this morning, but uh, it feels kind of spooky. It feels kind of spooky. And so um, we're very much missing you and, and our gathering together uh, here on Sunday morning. Um, I can't see you this morning. God sees each one of us perfectly. He sees our hearts. He knows us and he loves us. So just receive that right now. Now we're going to be looking here this morning at uh, John 17. And what has traditionally been called the high priestly prayer of Jesus John 17, if you have your Bible and you're there at your kitchen table, living room, wherever you happen to be, uh, with whomever you happen to be, go ahead and turn there. What we're going to try to do this morning is have some different phrases, nine phrases in particular that are meant to highlight what it is that Jesus is bringing to the Father on our behalf. And they are awesome things. That really is what we want to, kind of the message that we want to send this morning is this message that Jesus is praying and that he's praying to the Father and that he is praying for us. And that in itself is just an awesome thing to think about. So we're going to have these nine phrases. We're going to start to read. And we're going to see what it is that Jesus brings to his father, our father, on our behalf. Okay? So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read, starting in verse 1 now. And this is John 17, where it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. But before he said, it's important to note here that in John 17, uh, we've just had John 14 through 16, where Jesus is essentially saying goodbye. He's saying goodbye because he knows what's coming next. And now we find him on the verge, on the brink of the crucifixion. And yet he takes the time to pray for you. And he takes the time to pray for me. He takes the time to pray for us. What I'm going to ask you to do, you don't have to do this, but I'm going to encourage you to do this. When we're listening to someone pray, we tend to close our eyes and it helps us to listen and focus better. So here in just a moment, when I go ahead and I begin to read this prayer, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and let's all pray together and hear the prayer of Jesus and I'll let you know when that's coming. First, though, let's just keep in mind that this is Jesus and his actual words, that this is not Jesus trying to teach us how to pray. 
the way that he did in Matthew chapter six and in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, um, this is how you should pray. When you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Neither is this Jesus praying. We read fairly often in scripture, in the gospels especially, that Jesus at times would kind of remove himself by himself to lonely places, remote stretches, and then he would take time to pray on those occasions. And neither is this Jesus necessarily looking to model prayer. We read in James 5.16 that the fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much, but that's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is actually going to his Father to pray for us. And this is how he starts. Why don't you go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes, do what it takes to listen to the actual prayer of Jesus. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Amen. Let's just take a look there at those first three verses. And in particular, that phrase in verse three, where it says, and this is eternal life, that they know you. Jesus is bringing the necessity and very much his desire that we enjoy eternal life with him to the Father. He's doing that right here. And he actually goes ahead and he defines eternal life by saying that this is eternal life, that they know you. Do you know him? And do we, isn't it true, that we all want to know him for who he is, for who he says that he is in his word? That they know you, that we want to know his character, full scope, all his attributes, all his attributes. We want to know his love, but we also want to know his holiness. We want to know his justice, but we also want to know his peace. We want to know that he is unchangeable in all of his attributes. We want to know that he is a God of order, we want to know that he is truthful in what he tells us. We want to know that he's faithful. That list goes on. That list is an eternal list. That list is something that we will be able to delve into and never become bored of even in eternity. So to know his character, yeah, but also to know him personally. Don't you want to know God personally? Don't you want to have the kind of relationship with him that is just full of perfect friendship? Don't you want trust that never fails? Don't you want hope in him? Don't you want to know his faithfulness unto you? Don't you want to know and experience how it is that by his spirit, he's going to make you fruitful? Fruitful. 
Don't you want to know what it feels like to be wholly dependent upon him and never let down by him? Don't you want to know those things? Don't you want to know, by the way, what it feels like to be perfectly secure? Don't you want to know that inside a relationship that no one else can compromise? Tomorrow, on Monday, we're looking at having memorized all of Romans 8. And at the very end of that chapter, you may remember that it says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That kind of intimacy inside a relationship with him. By the way, you know, we find ourselves in the midst of this coronavirus and the pandemic that's circled the globe. And yet it occurred to me as I'm kind of thinking through, praying through this earlier, um, that aren't there hundreds of thousands more people who are affected by loneliness in our culture and in the cultures around the world, but in particular our North American culture, isn't it true? Even then those who are affected um, in physical ways by the coronavirus right now. Loneliness, and that that can be met because of God in Christ and this eternal life described as a knowledge of him. Paul once said, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of his resurrection and I want to know the fellowship even of sharing in his sufferings. Anything I can do to get closer to Christ, that's what I want. The sons of Korah in Psalm 42, once upon a time said, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? I just want him. I want to be near him. I want to be with him all the time. Let's go ahead and we're going to keep reading, but I'm going to keep praying so if you want, close your eyes again, and I'm going to start in verse 4 where it says this. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Okay, amen. And let's look at those few verses there, and especially at that phrase in the last of verse nine, where it says, whom you have given me, for they are yours. Do you understand what a strong expression of ownership that is? Whom you have given me, 
for they are yours. And that earlier, it says in verse six, yours they were, and you gave them to me. Ownership, that we belong to him, that he has us, that he will hold us fast. We sing about that, but it's true. And I'm thinking that in this hour, this time in our lives, our kind of collected lives together here and what's going on in our country and so forth, that that's so important to remember that we are owned by him, that he has us in the palm of his hand and he's not letting us go. It says in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He or she who has the son has eternal life but he or she who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's just that crystal clear. But for those of us who are had by him, he will never let us go. Ownership. I'm going to keep praying in verse 10, where it says, all mine, Jesus says, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That phrase then in verse 11, keep them in your name, Keep them in your name. In Jude, which is a single chapter book in the very first verse, it tells us that there are those of us who are kept for Jesus Christ. Kept. Keep. We need to hear that these days, don't we? I think it's a good reminder, and it's something that's able to kind of thwart our anxiety, isn't it? To know that we are kept not long ago, just kind of remembering some of my childhood and my upbringing, I had a real solid dad, loved the Lord. But one of the things he taught me was out of First Timothy 5.8, where it says that the man who fails to provide for his household is worse than an infidel. And I can remember just being terrorized by that verse. Uh, you know, even when I was a young kid, it was my dad's way. Uh, you know, my dad and my mom were both oldest children. I was the oldest child of two oldest children. It was their way, I think, of really instilling, uh, doing their best to instill a work ethic in me. You know, you want to remember that. And so, you know, I was kind of... Um, very obsessed with wanting to work hard and to make sure that I accomplished, that I came across as competent and whatever the Lord, you know, I felt was calling me to and so forth. But it produced a lot of anxiety in me over time. Lately, just in reading a book, I couldn't even tell you the, the title of the book, but there was an emphasis placed on that text in Matthew chapter six, where God says, consider the birds, Jesus is talking there and he says, consider the birds that they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't toil, they don't store in barns and yet the Lord takes care of them. He 
feeds them. He looks out for them. You know, it says that a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without the Lord knowing about it. There was a famous quote by a famous preacher, Harry Ironside at Moody Church in Chicago many, many years ago now, who said, God attends the funeral of every sparrow. That's how he cares for us. When it says, when Jesus prays, keep them in your name. I'm going to keep reading the prayer here of Jesus in verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. That son of destruction that it's talking about there, that's Judas. And many of us, most of us, I hope, are familiar with that story and what happens around the uh, events of Jesus' death. So it's talking about Judas there, but that phrase in particular, in verse 12, I have guarded them. I have guarded them. Do you know what it feels like to be guarded by Jesus? Recently, I was... Just remembering again, meditating, praying through Psalm 23. And listen to this. Uh, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then in verse four, there's this switch. See if you catch it, where it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You catch that? He's talking about the Lord and the blessings of the Lord, what it means to be walking with the Lord, what it means to be laid down by the Lord in a context of peace and security. But when he goes down into the darkness, down into the valley, he stops in a sense almost talking about the Lord and he talks to the Lord. Do you catch that? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I know what it means to be guarded by you. We were talking as a preaching team and uh, I want to say that it was Pastor Trent who, you know, when I'm asking, you know, what, what would you say is the, kind of the one idea, the thing that thrills your soul the most? When you think about John 17, and I believe it was Pastor Trent who said that he prayed for me, not just for us, but for me. Jesus prayed for you, that there's a concept of individual care that comes the way of Christ's brothers and sisters, the sons and daughters of God. Individual care. So he guards And I'm going to keep praying now in verse 13. Jesus prayed, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Do you catch that phrase there at the end of verse 13? That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Romans 15, 13 
says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Doesn't that just cause your heart to swell to know that Jesus prayed that you would have joy? Don't you love that? Aren't you thankful to have had that for him? And then in verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I'm, I'm thankful to Jesus that he remembered the kind of hatred that I and you that we would encounter from the world for these reasons that he's just mentioned to the Father. But I'm thankful that that didn't escape him, that he didn't let that one go. You know, it says in 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone or anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, I don't know the degree of severity of trial in your life. I don't know the nature, the sorts of trials that you have encountered. Maybe you find yourself in the midst of it right now. I don't know. I don't know what kind of hatred you have experienced or if you have experienced hatred yet from the world. But that's a, in a sense a promise from the Lord in 2 Timothy when it says, Anyone who wants to live a godly life, and we do, don't we? Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So it's good to know that when I set out in the power of the Spirit to want to live that godly life, when I set out down that road, that he has already prayed that the persecution that comes my way would be dealt with. If even in my own Mind, if even in my own resolve that it's been dealt with, there's hatred that's coming my way, but that's okay because he's prayed for me. I'm going to keep praying the prayer of Jesus here in verse 15, where he prayed, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one. I, I swear I, I hate the devil. Um, you know, and don't come after me because I just swore. Uh, you know, I'm wanting to bring the emotion that I feel here in a relatively empty sanctuary, but I have seen some of the work of the devil lately and I've seen it in children uh, lately and it just makes me so angry. God tells us, tells us in his word to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. And the devil is sure evil. Christ labels the devil, that is Satan. Christ labels Satan the evil one. So I'm thankful that Jesus included that. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified 
in truth. All of verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. It tells us, you know, Jesus said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man or woman comes to the Father except by me. So he's saying that I am the truth. And he's also said that he is the word. He's described as the word of God. God is speaking to us in the person and through the person of Jesus Christ. And we also know that the Bible is the word. So what is it that Jesus is praying for there to sanctify them in the truth? What he's wanting is for the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit as he commissions his spirit into our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. I'm thankful, and aren't you thankful that Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified, that we would be made more like him? Aren't you grateful for that? And then in verse 20, I just want to read these last few verses before we pray. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, it's an interesting verse, and I just got to make this point, that all of a sudden in verse 20, it seems as though he's praying for us, those who are going to believe in him, as Pastor Trent prayed earlier, down through the thousands of years, and now he's praying for us specifically as of verse 20. So who is he praying for before verse 20? Well, he's praying specifically for the disciples. But that's why I'm trying to share other verses in other places in the Bible to show that, you know what? Right here specifically, he might be praying just for the disciples, but I think he's also praying for us. He's praying for us. And if you need a little bit more to bulwark that point, then just remember that there are places elsewhere in Scripture that make everything that he has said in these verses that have gone before verse 20, all of that can be applicable to our own lives today and that the Bible makes that clear. Verse 21, that they may all be one. Unity. And it's meant to be an observable reality, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There are two reasons why Jesus is praying this prayer for unity for us as believers. The first is so that the world would believe that God the Father had sent Christ, that everything has to do with Christ, everything. And the second is that God wants and does in fact love us the same way that he loves Jesus. Can you imagine that? That God the Father loves us just like he loves Jesus. And just take comfort in that. So I'm going to go ahead and pray again. And we're going to have the worship team come up. And then I'm going to go ahead afterwards in the benediction. And I'm going to read verses 22 
through 26 for our benediction. But let's go ahead and pray now. Father, it almost feels awkward to pray on the heels of the prayer of your son to you. But Father, these are things that we just want to value so highly. We want to cherish, we want to be grateful to you, forever grateful that in eternity, we will continue to get to know you and that we will never reach the end of that quest that even in a million years, we'll never find ourselves at a place where we can kind of draw a circle around you and say that, yep, now I know you and I can move on to something else. Father, that that will never occur. And so, Father, these ideas of, of ownership, that you own us, that you keep us, that our salvation in you is secure, that you guard us, that you have dealt with the hatred of the world that is coming our way, that you are able to control and limit and call the shots on the evil one that is Satan. And Father, that you have, you have heard from your son his desire that we know joy and that we be sanctified and that we be unified. Father, all of these things. And we're just so grateful for that, Father. And so we say thank you in the name of Jesus for his prayer on our behalf. Amen.